Hello to you. Welcome to a special edition of Coin Market Recap on Wednesday, the 12th of October. I'm Connor Sefton, and we're coming to you live from the Netherlands. We've got all of the highlights from day one of Bitcoin Amsterdam, the biggest Bitcoin conference in Europe. Also coming up, we talk to the man who's playing an instrumental role in bringing Bitcoin to the people of Madeira. Coin Corners, Danny Scott and Molly Spears will give us a British perspective on how the market's performing right now. And Coin Market Cap's head of research, Alice Liu, offers her insights into the big trends from the conference so far. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And you can get in touch with me on Twitter as well. I'm at Connor Sefton. Coin Market Recap, live from Amsterdam. The day began with a speech from Bitcoin Inc.'s David Bailey, which owns Bitcoin Magazine and organizes the conference. What we're talking about here today for the next two days, what our speakers are talking about, are solutions to the crises that we face as a society. Our monetary crisis, our energy crisis, our financial crisis, our geopolitical crisis. Bitcoin is the solution to these problems. As we say in Bitcoin, fix the money fix the world. Just a 20-minute drive away from here, the Cybos Conference, one of the biggest events in the traditional finance world, is taking place. David had this message for those attending that. If you come over with your Cybos badge and let us cut it up in front of you, we will give you a free ticket to this conference. You're welcome. Come on, please. One of the first panels of the day focused on whether Bitcoin's inflation hedge narrative has failed. This all links back to the fact that Bitcoin's total supply is capped at 21 million, and no more can be created after that. By contrast, many central banks around the world have increased their money supplies substantially in recent years, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. This has led to rampant inflation in many major economies around the world, but it hasn't resulted in a boost to Bitcoin's price. Entrepreneur Jeff Booth is the author of The Price of Tomorrow. He was on the panel and said this. What what should happen is prices should fall as we invent new ways of doing things better. We, We save that time. And that in a free market, that would transition with the broadest the broadest abundance to humanity. That's what would be natural. So anything that stops that is man-made. So when we talk about, when we talk about inflation, it is only man-made because we grant people an ability to drive up an inflation rate against that force. Now you could argue we have to, and we could have that argument. And, and a credit-based system does have to, otherwise the whole thing fails and it fails spectacularly and what ends up happening is a credit-based system what we think it has to most people believe that for a productive economy to work you have to have two percent inflation and i would ask you to question that belief because why why do why do you have to have two percent theft in your money for a productive economy, for the for us to trade with each other. It doesn't make sense. Jeff claimed 2% inflation quickly becomes 3%, 5%, 8%, or 15% because debt needs to be made cheaper. And he warned that the Federal Reserve's tightening of interest rates will cause a death spiral as credit collapses. That system that we live in, that you measure your house prices by, that you elect your officials in, 
that every single thing you do reinforces that system. And Bitcoin is an alternative system. And what's, what's actually happening, if you just, if you ask, is Bitcoin an inv- inflation hedge here? It's an inflation hedge and a deflation hedge. What it is doing is repricing that entire system over time. Fellow panelist Greg Foss put it like this. Total debt in the world today, according to the Institute of International Finance, is over 400 trillion U.S. dollars equivalent. So that includes all government debt. It includes all corporate debt, all bank debt, all mortgages. 400 trillion U.S. dollars. I'm sorry? Without unfunded liabilities. Okay, without unfunded liabilities. But stick with me here. This is the amount of debt outstanding in the world. And round numbers, the global economy is only 100 trillion U.S. dollars. Okay? So your, your numerator is four times the size of your denominator. If you assume an average coupon in your numerator is 3%, do we think that the global economy can grow at 4 times 3%, which is 12%? Do you think global economy can grow at 12% in order to keep pace with the growth in debt, the organic growth in the debt due to the coupon? And I think the rational answer is no. Greg described it as 11th grade math and said Bitcoin is an insurance policy against credit inflation, not necessarily the consumer price index. He went on to warn that the world's credit-based system has now reached the point of no return. From the Moon Arena to the SATS stage now, where there was a keynote speech on mass adoption in Europe. Economic analyst Bert Schlachter, who's a host for Satoshi Radio in the Netherlands, says Bitcoin's at a tipping point and drew a parallel to electric cars. For years, they were far worse than normal cars. Heavy, expensive, low-range, no-charging stations. For the first few years, only EV nerds would want an electric car. They, they, only the EV nerds, the electric, electrical vehicle nerds, were willing to suffer the problems associated with the novelty of the technology. The technology advances exponentially, gradually, then suddenly. And 10, 20 years later, EV cars are cheaper, faster, and more convenient. We're currently around the tipping point. Some countries like Norway, almost 70% of the cars sold are electric. Bert says that Bitcoin is becoming increasingly usable as a payment method, but he warned it will take time for Bitcoin to be better than the fiat alternatives available in most major economies. He believes technological improvements like the Lightning Network are crucial for increasing adoption, as well as education and regulation that allows Bitcoin to exist. And he had this warning. We believe that crossing the chasm from the early adopters to the early majority requires having open and honest conversations about Bitcoin. The full story, the strength and the weaknesses, the opportunities and the risks. 
and for the record. This does not involve slamming heaven, staying poor in people's faces. Why? Why do we need those honest, honest conversations? Because it would allow everyone, including those with presumptions and prejudices, to make a fair assessment. There was an interesting moment during a panel called the Bitcoin Audience, which brought together a number of content creators from the industry. Someone in the crowd asked whether there were any topics that they wouldn't touch, and talk turned to Andrew Tate. Despite the fact this is an influencer who's talked about brandishing machetes, hitting women and grabbing them by the neck, Leila Heilpern said she was against cancel culture, prompting a debate with fellow podcaster Peter McCormack. I support Andrew Tate because I believe in what he says. Um, you know, he wants to empower men to be better. As a woman, I'd love to see men be better, right? Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> it kind of goes without saying, I won't get to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there do, are do you, some... Do you not think he's a, he's a scammer? Why would he be a scammer? Well, his whole uh, university thing, where it's, it's, it's basically a scam. Can you elaborate on how it's basically a scam? Because that's well, a big he's, accusation. He, yeah, so he's creating the controversial content, driving people to his website, and signing people up for substandard products, which are basically shit. Well, I think basically shit is an opinion. Um, and a lot of people find a lot of value from his content. Um, maybe it is substandard, but that's your opinion. A lot of people have made a lot of money. Um, and he's clearly a very intelligent individual. Um, and I think he knows what he's doing. Nobody's forcing you to buy it. You could say university's basically a scam. That's a lot more expensive. And I spent three years at university and that was a load of shit. Um, oh no, I agree with both. Right, but at least with Andrew, it's like $50 a month or whatever it is. You know, pay it, don't pay it. Right now they're sending liberal arts degrees, which can't really get you very far. And they're asking for loads and, you know, millions on that after all the interest and all that crap. So. Um, with regards to what is that content that I wouldn't touch, if I care about it, I'm going to speak about it. Day one of Bitcoin Amsterdam. Also on the SAT stage today, a panel came together to discuss Madeira's Bitcoin experiment. Madeira's an autonomous region of Portugal and its president has declared that he wants to make the archipelago a fantastic environment for Bitcoin. A documentary about Madeira's journey is in the works and the panel talked about the importance of grassroots adoption. As many of you know in this room, once you start to pay your taxi driver with you, okay, do you just download this, uh, this lightning wallet and I'll, and I'll tip you in that. The light goes on. And then you, you rent a surfboard with the same thing, or you do that, and all of a sudden the light goes on and it starts to build that network faster and faster and faster. So I suspect with an initiative like this, with actual money behind it, and, 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 and support from the government being behind it to drive this adoption, I think you're gonna see pretty quick adoption. That's where we need you, like to come to the island and, and help us spread the message because we're, we're just this group of people helping, helping the Madeira government do a smooth transition into a new paradigm. But of course, the, the, the more the merrier, the more Bitcoiners that are there, the more Bitcoin companies that are there, Trying to orange cap drivers and, and waiters, the better. Andre Lodger is the founder of the Free Madeira Association. He's a local entrepreneur who's played a leading role in highlighting Bitcoin's potential to Madeira's president. I caught up with him and began by asking him about his background and what he's hoping to achieve. Well, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, I'll try to sum it up. 
Um, I'm just a pleb from Madeira. <laughs> I'm a Madeiran. I, I live with my family, my four kids there. And um, on a strange chain of events, we got the opportunity to, let's say, guide the Madeira government in this new technology that I still didn't know much about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were successful. Mm-hmm. So we brought the president to Miami. Um, and he was really interested in supporting this new technology. Mm-hmm. Let's call it like that. And uh, he's uh, now uh, proposed us to start this non-profit um, that will guide the government on all Bitcoin stuff related uh, to Madeira. Yes. So. so just to clarify, you're not planning to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, are you? There is a distinction there, isn't there? We couldn't even. Uh-huh. We are a semi-autonomous region, so we are not independent from Portugal. Mm-hmm. We do have our own government and uh, parliament, but uh, it has limits on its um, reach. So it was never the plan to, um, to declare Bitcoin legal, t- legal tender, for example. What we want to do is uh, to create a Bitcoin-friendly jurisdiction uh, within our powers mm-hmm. and, um, and basically spread the adoption amongst the, the people mm-hmm. and the education amongst the people and the businesses in Madeira um, so they can start working with this new technology because the president is very keen on transforming Madeira a bit uh, from the from being too reliant on tourism as it was in the past mm-hmm. and he sees that we now have the opportunity um, in Madeira uh, not the opportunity but Madeira finally has an advantage on this new digital economy mm-hmm. to be attractive to businesses and individuals to live there because our infrastructures are amazing you know not only digital but even the you know, cement infrastructures, yeah. let's call it like this. It's, it's a very good place to live uh-huh. and to work from. Yes. And this is that as an advantage now. Uh, and it's not only Bitcoin. He wants to bring technologies there, you mm-hmm. know, and startups and younger people and, and better salaries to the island. And this is um, Bitcoin as um, something that is here to stay and uh, that the younger generations are using more and more, mm-hmm. and he wants to support it. And he sees that as a... He sees the future being built on top of it. So he, he wants that from Madeira. <laughs> so Portugal recently unveiled proposals that would potentially see a 28% tax on crypto gains, I believe, if it's sold in under 365 days. Are you worried about that? Do you think that that could affect your ambitions in Madeira and make it a less attractive destination for Bitcoin investment? We, we are, were already seeing that coming, basically. Um, it, honestly, in my opinion, it could have been worse. Um, it's not the most terrible legislation uh, around. Um, I think they were having... You have to see that the main uh, Portuguese government is from another party than the one we have in Madeira. Mm-hmm. So, and they have the majority now in parliament. And um, they were getting a lot of pressures right. from not only the, the people uh-huh. that still don't... They lack the, the understanding... 
and but also the far left parties and so on to tax this crypto world and I feel that their response was late uh, but not as bad as it could have been mm -hmm. because at least they left a door open to not kill the whole startup scenes that they were seeing related to crypto mm -hmm. um I think it's it's still a proposal needs to be discussed in parliament yet so I feel there's there's still an opening that we can at least improve some of the things I I think elimin eliminating it was is going to be very hard because right. of the the perception that there's uh, around this crypto world or the, or the misperception that there's around the crypto world um and I think in Madeira we can um you know create um how can I go about it? Um, I don't think it will affect our work in Madeira. Okay. Because our work in Madeira was already not dependent on the on the, the tax gains. Uh, it was more about helping uh, businesses and individuals to, you know, to create their work there and develop there and then give them the conditions to 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 have a good life in Madeira, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's other ways that a company like Bitcoin company that wants to settle in Madeira, for example, can gain on the on the um, the corporate tax, for example, mm -hmm. which is much lower than the mainland. So there are there are tax advantages and quality of life advantages anyway. Mm -hmm. Talk to me more about those quality of life advantages. How do you imagine people using Bitcoin in their day-to-day -day lives in Madeira? Well, as you well know, uh, a lot of people already use it for for payments, mm -hmm. for, for rent payments, for house payments. We've been seeing a lot of investment in real estate in Madeira that you can already pr purchase with Bitcoin, for example. Mm -hmm. We have a very deep uh, golden visa program where uh, a lot of people from outside the EU use it for getting a second citizenship. Yes. And they can already use that uh, in Madeira mm -hmm. right now. Uh, but what I'm saying is once you get to know Madeira, um, Madeira is, in my opinion at least, uh, one of the best places in the world to live mm -hmm. in terms of overall quality of life. Weather, nature, schools, infrastructure, infrastructure you know, safety, uh, all of that. So it, uh, it already has the, the, let's say, the foundations mm -hmm. uh, to create all of the rest on top of it. Yes. Yeah. So during the panel you were involved in today, there was discussion about El Salvador and what lessons could be learned from their move to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And of course, we do know that there is that is a slightly different thing to what you are trying to achieve. But does the lack of Bitcoin adoption there concern you? And how much demand is there for Bitcoin among everyday consumers in Madeira right well, now? I would put it the other way. As much as I like what El Salvador is trying to do, I think they rushed too soon into um, declaring legal tender and because first you need the education because it doesn't take you know a government decision and then all the people start using bitcoin the next day mm -hmm. so i really much rather have the other option of start with education and teaching how can people use it on a day-to-day -day basis and the advantages that it has to them yeah 
especially um, now that we see all the, the, the economy <laughs> the cracking everywhere, uh, what we really want to do is help more and more people to be prepared or safeguard their, their, their savings uh, for the future. Yeah, and you make a good point because El Salvador went from it being announced at Bitcoin Miami in 2021 to the Bitcoin law in like 90 days, I think. It was very, very fast. Now, in an interview a few months ago, you said you wanted to protect my island from the fiat system. Can you tell me more about what you mean by that? And you kind of alluded to that when you were talking about how things are cracking at the moment. We are seeing more and more crackings on the, on the fiat system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it's pretty apparent to almost everyone by now the manipulations that there are on the current economic systems everywhere. Yes. And um, I think, in my opinion, it's inevitable that Bitcoin will be a bigger and bigger part of the escaping to, of this um, current economic system. So the more people that we can transition uh, to the other side, <laughs> let's say it like this, um, the better for everyone. They will be more prepared um, when the time comes. Yes. So, over the next, say, five years, what are three main things that you would like either Madeira to have achieved or to be on the way to achieving? What are the things you would like to see happen? Well, I like that you say five years because this is a long-term it's project. A long-term thing. Uh, nothing is easy, and I've seen a, a lot of feedback. You know, already people already asking what's what's going on, what's happening, and. Uh, these things take time, take time uh, especially when the government is involved. Mm-hmm. But we are slowly but steadily giving, you know, you know, moving ahead. And if you if you ask me personally, what would, would be my goals with this with this initiative? If we can help the people on their day to day basis, as I said again, like we have a big diaspora, for example. Mm-hmm. If we can help these people on their savings, on transmitting money to their family, on, on real-life problems that they have right now, mm-hmm. it's already a big victory. So if we, can, if we can protect the savings of people that have been trying to save for this 10, 20 years past, if we protect their savings, it's already a big win. Yeah. And the more and more people we can get into this system, the better. That's, that's why it's the focus on education, on, on, the, on how this is a technology and, and getting rid of all the FUD that, is, uh, that affects a lot of people uh, uh, not getting into, into Bitcoin. It's already a win. Andre Lodger there. Well, Bitcoin Amsterdam comes at a very challenging time for Europe. Millions of people across the continent are facing a cost of living crisis, as well as the prospect of blackouts this winter. Coin Corners' Danny Scott and Molly Spears join me to give a British perspective on where Bitcoin stands in all of this. How are you finding the conference so far? Good fun. Um, Very busy. Yes. Uh, Chaos trying to meet with people and... (laughs) get to the panels and stuff but I always think it's really cool when you meet people that you've met on Twitter and put faces to avatars and that's my favorite thing about conferences yes it's really cool honestly this is I mean I love all my guests equally of course but it's just nice three three British voices (laughs) in a crypto podcast it's it doesn't happen often enough in my opinion no we're a rare breed, I think. Britcoiners. That's what we call <laughs> Britcoiners. them. Britcoiners. Yeah. Yeah, we, have the, the, we actually have our own podcast called Britcoiners, which is... Uh, Shameless plug. Yeah, so, sorry, I didn't even mean to. That was complete accidental. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think it was... It's 
particularly rare, I think, over the years, uh, yeah. finding more British people uh, in the space, which is a shame, but I think we got, um, I won't go into all the, the details of things historically, but I think we got um, strangled a little bit from the banking side, from the yeah. UK, and that kind of held back adoption um, throughout the UK, from a UK perspective, anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of a shame, but slowly, slowly growing, slowly getting there. Yeah, yeah so to begin with then, can you just tell us briefly about Coin Corner? So yeah, we were... Um, Myself, one of our co-founders, uh, kind of mining Bitcoin uh, back in sort of 2013 times. Um, we then um, uh, we were doing that in the UK. Electricity costs on uh, electricity costs these days are even <laughs> yeah. more uh, extortionate. But um, they didn't really compete against uh, other parts of the world. So um, we ended up um, kind of putting the mining down back in 2014 times, mm-hmm. um, and we moved to. Uh, well, we found a gap in the market where there was not really a, a UK-focused um, exchange uh, somewhere to on-ramp and off-ramp for Bitcoin. Uh, so we started Coin Corner at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, we're actually based in the Alaman, um, which is a small island just off the UK coast in between the UK and Ireland. I'm from um, Lancashire. Which is, oh, got the <laughs> Whereabouts then? Scalmersdale. Okay, good. good. Um, so I'm also Lancashire. Very nice. Whereabouts? <laughs> uh, Blackpool. Area, Excellent. Yeah. I always used to go to Blackpool for my birthdays. This is local talk this on is, the coin market. Is... <laughs> pleasure, very high pleasure local beach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On the donkeys, sandcastle, yeah. you know, keeping go. good. <laughs> so um, how are you feeling about the crypto landscape in the UK right now? Because, of course global bear market the uk has got challenges of its own how are you feeling about the way things are going in the uk yeah i think um i'm actually very positive about the the bitcoin landscape in the uk from what i've seen sort of over the last few months the things like so the grassroots up style stuff is really taking off Mm -hmm. um Bitcoin meetups all across the UK seem to be popping up overnight, one in every different county by the looks of it, um, which is always really good to see because that sort of like ground up adoption is how stuff gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think the UK is kind of, I feel like it's finally catching up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? <clears throat> no, I think that we say that it's a, a grassroots um foundation level up i think from a, a top down with the government side um obviously they've got the fca crypto register now and there's um there's been parts of movement it's been uh, a little bit slow in terms of uh, rolling that out they know that themselves it's been part of the process and it's been a slow process and uh, with brexit on top with covid on top it's created a, a bit of a um a backlog should we say in terms of uh, movement on on the bitcoin side i think in the uk so from top down it's a little bit um, slower and a bit, uh, or slower than we'd like, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. Um, but from the grassroots up, as Molly's saying, I think there's there's really becoming some traction now. We've got um, the conference in Edinburgh next week, um, which is going to be sort of the first Bitcoin conference for a long time in the UK. Yeah. Um, I think the last one, um, we've had a couple of other ones, like small ones that are more crypto focused, but like Bitcoin only focused. The last one was probably back in 2014, I think it was uh, in London, um, which I went to a long time ago. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to have in some, I mean, this one here in Amsterdam, in Europe, it's nice to have some in Europe as well, not just the US side, which is good. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to see some more people around the UK um, and hopefully Edinburgh's attracts uh, plenty of people as well. And you mentioned some of the kind of like the UK specific challenges, didn't you? Like Brexit being one of them. Philip Hammond, former chancellor, was quite fairly keen on Bitcoin and he was kind of like saying that the UK should kind of seize upon 
Bitcoin and crypto as a way of kind of giving itself a competitive advantage, a, a boost post-Brexit, kind of make it a hub for crypto. Do you think that the UK has any chance of achieving that? I know back in April there was a proposal about, you know, recognising stable coins as a valid payment method, um, potentially making it easier for businesses to transact with digital assets. Do you think that's enough? Do you think more can be done? It's hard. It's a hard, hard, um, there's no right or wrong answer. I think there's the government, obviously, they can be positive towards it. They can say positive things towards it publicly. They can, um, they've brought in the regulation that they have or the, the, the uh, registration they have um, around what would be uh, some form of regulation. Um, that's a positive and that's a pro and that's a step forward in some respect. Um, there's still, they still can't really force that. And I guess when you see the likes of El Salvador, they made it bit legal, uh, legal tender. Um, and that has attracted companies and people from around the world to uh, visit from a tourism perspective, relocate and set up companies there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually just launched into El Salvador today, um, right, which is, um, thank you. <laughs> um, so we've launched there just today, um, to push the, uh, the bulk card out from, um, so the bulk cards is a Bitcoin lightning card that you can tap and contactless payments with a card, um, over the Lightning Network. Um, that is a UX perspective to try and help uh, the likes of El Salvador actually make it easier to pay everyday use cases um, in Bitcoin over there. Um, so there's, <clears throat> I think the UK have stuck themselves, it's, it's fell, like you say, with COVID, with Brexit, with all the things around that. They want to be the financial hub of Europe and, and have historically been um, quite significant in that respect. Um, but I think that the short answer, I think for a little bit is there's, bigger problems to deal with for the UK at the minute than focus on um, the Bitcoin industry. So um, unfortunately, sometimes it ends up being the private sector that have to help drive that. And that is like hopefully what we we can do and other companies out there in the UK as well are hopefully doing similar things. I will be talking about the bolt card in a minute, but I just kind of want to drill into the challenges that you've just been talking about because... British pound is kind of going for a bit of drama right now. We've got a cost of living crisis. Do you think that those two things collectively will drive people towards Bitcoin? Or do you still think that many consumers still regard Bitcoin as just too risky? Yeah, the combination of, of both, I think. We, um, you know, we see that from uh, a Bitcoin exchange on ramp side where we've seen when it's a bear market, Signups drop off a cliff, and you know it falls down. And in a bull market, signups increase, yeah. and it's just the trend, and it has been for the last three I mean, cycles. We settle at a higher level than before the first yeah. bull market, so you kind of you're always kind of going that little bit level up. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. It's almost steps uh-huh. up and yeah. levels up in stages, um, which I think is the case. Um, Something that I think we're waiting to see. We feel like, I guess, through the bear market, this year's probably been like more of a bearish period. Uh, and you see the sign-up start to, to come down. And then I guess we've hit what we would see from a, a sign-up perspective, maybe a bear bottom already. And then right. it'll start to be on the upwards trend from, from now forwards. Um, having seen, like, I was talking earlier on to somebody else about this. And it's like, you, sometimes even in a bear period, regardless of what's happening in the real world or we could shout and scream with the biggest news in the world, but it doesn't really significantly increase signups mm-hmm. because it's a bear period. As yeah. soon as it hits a bull period, if we did that same news, it would spike in traffic and things like that. So um, sometimes, regardless of what's happening around the world, people are focused on other things, unfortunately. And there's, as I said before, bigger problems that people are deal- dealing with. In terms of it being a potential opportunity and a safe haven and people run into that, um, we're seeing that in... We're seeing that more from, I guess, um, Bitcoiners that already understand it 
and mm-hmm. are jumping in then all in even more so than they were previously, um, but maybe not from the newcomers because they still don't, as you mentioned there, they're scared or they don't understand it and there's still an education piece to do. Mm-hmm. Trying to educate them while the energy crisis is going on and the interest rates are increasing, mortgages it are going to be an issue. Else. They're distracted, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. So. so when we get to a point where perhaps, you know, as things start to look a bit more optimistic for Bitcoin again and people might have a bit more time to think about it a bit more headspace to think about it what do businesses in the space need to do to kind of reassure them that bitcoin can be something worth considering for them education uh, is, is obviously the, the always the, the key thing and has been for the last sort of 10 uh-huh. years and it's been that um education process and I, I think one of the things people need to appreciate a lot of the time in the industry and outside the industry it any new technology takes time and it, it does yeah. take time to build that out um and educate around that so for me, just edu- not forcing it. So don't try and force some people. Don't try and force the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the time, people find Bitcoin when they need it rather yeah. than um, like, you know, you're trying to force rather something on someone. Yeah. Price, yeah, it just doesn't work. You need them to find it themselves. And that can happen in all different forms of uh, all sorts of variations of um, happenings, I guess. So the, the I guess my angle is for companies out there just to continue to educate and find real world use cases that solve problems for people or help people and let the people come and figure that out themselves and i think that is the best way from my experience over the last 10 years to see uh to turn people i guess into understanding bitcoin at a real level um rather than speculation and you you mentioned that um you know education is important but also Bitcoin payments haven't always been the most straightforward thing for someone who's new to the space to do. It can be quite technical, you know, long wallet addresses, slow confirmation times. And then you've got this new bulk card now. And I was listening to someone at a panel before. They were saying that, you know, mass adoption for Bitcoin will only be achieved when it's as easy to use as fiat. Do you think that the bulk card helps get the industry closer to that point where it is as straightforward as fiat? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the great thing about the bulk card is the tap to pay, um, which I think a lot of people are very familiar with, yeah. certainly sort of in the UK and Europe at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that familiarity of essentially what's a fiat style payment, but having that done on the Bitcoin Lightning Network is what I think will, what, what we think will ultimately help people kind of have that mindset shift, mm-hmm. I think. Um, to realize that paying with Bitcoin is not that difficult. It's not, you know, years ago, yeah, it was, it's confusing and it was a bit like alien to everyone. But yeah. um, by bringing out more products that are familiar to people in their everyday life, um, that's, I think, how we're going to start seeing adoption of Bitcoin payments. Depending on who you talk to at this conference, Bitcoin is an investment <laughs> or it's a means of payment. Where do you sit on this? Do you think it's payment method do you think it's do you think it's both like i think we we've always said at coin corner bitcoin is different things to different people so yeah you have some people that see it as investment some people that see it as as a means of payment um it really depends on who you are where you are in the world and what Mm. issues i guess your country is facing yes um you know the people like in el salvador they see it as a it's a legal current uh, legal tender sorry Mm -hmm. so um you know they see it as a means of payment whereas although so we we on board we've on 
been onboarding a lot of businesses recently to accept Bitcoin as payment. Um, mm-hmm. So that is happening in the UK, but it's a much slower process. Um, so I guess people in the UK don't necessarily see Bitcoin as for spending, shall we say. That there's a, I think there's a bigger population of hodlers in sort of like in the UK and Europe than there is sort of in the Latin American yeah. countries. Um, do you have anything else to add? <clears throat> no, you stole my answer. <laughs> <you>. um, <clears throat> yeah, no, pretty much what Molly said there. And I think as well when you... Uh, with technologies, take a step back, say, okay, what is the internet? And the internet is um, a communication layer that's allowed the world to be connected in, in some capacity. But look at everything that is built now around the internet. It's no longer just a, a communication. It started off as a communication layer for universities to talk and share uh uh, science um, sort of reports on that side. So with the all of a sudden now you've got Netflix streaming, you've got um, mobile phones to communicate and have live chats and uh, everything else you've got around. The internet has become this interconnected and, and payments, of course, are now uh, an option there for um, the internet side. So it's not like the internet is not one thing really. It's a base level as is one thing, but it can have many, many use cases. Um, and that's what effectively, uh, I guess I view Bitcoin. Um, it's one base uh, layer as such, but it has many, many use cases and everybody can use it in a way that benefits them um, or they find useful. Yeah. Well, I mean, to add to your answer as well, because my, my world's collided recently. I sometimes freelance for BBC Radio Oxford. And of course, um, Oxford... I always get Oxford City and Oxford United from yeah. Oxford City. Yeah. Oxford City um, now are starting to accept Bitcoin. So I guess as well, when it comes to the debate of is it a payment method or is it um, an investment, it depends on giving people the opportunity as well to use it. And perhaps people who see Oxford City um, accepting Bitcoin, that might tempt them to kind of give it a go, whereas they wouldn't have done before had they not seen it being made available. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, and we've been working with Oxford City to do exactly that. Um, yeah. And I think the just to add on top of yours as well, though, like <clears throat> we just because you're using Bitcoin to pay for something, say Oxford City, it doesn't necessarily mean you're spending your Bitcoin. You could hold pounds, for example, with Coin Corner, and then as you go and spend it, it also buys Bitcoin and sends a Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. So the, the Bitcoin Lightning Network becomes the payment rails like your Visas and MasterCards. Yes. Um, it's not necessarily like you're spending pounds. It's yes. similar to what you see in El Salvador. They're holding what theoretically is dollars or a stable coin in a wallet. And when they make the payment, it's going over Bitcoin Lightning rails. So uh, the Bitcoin Lightning piece in there, in that puzzle, is really just the actual technology to make the payment and the payment rail. Um, and just quickly, before you mentioned El Salvador and the fact that the bolt cards launch in there. That seems pretty significant because, I mean, they have had some difficulties with adoption. And, of course, it's a year in. It takes time. But I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that Bitcoin hasn't really been as widely used by businesses and consumers so far as perhaps the president would have hoped. Yes and no, I think so. Yeah, I think there's um, maybe not as the president hopes. I don't know how... I don't know his personal hopes on that, I guess, is, <laughs> is one angle I won't speak for him. Um, but um, I think as what you would expect from the media perspective and from the outside world, people will think, okay, it's a year in now since they made a legal tender. Why is everybody not using it everywhere? The same answer should be for you know any technology in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at the end of the day, when 
uh, cars first became a thing. You know, it wasn't one year in and everybody's driving a car. It takes time for these things to um, bed in, people to get used to them, how it works. Even contact, if we go back to payments, contactless payments. Um, you know, contactless payments have been a thing since um, I think the early 2000s, really, or maybe it's about 2007, eight. I think was the first commercial contactless payment in the UK. Um, that is took what we're, you know, 15, 16 years later now. And it's still okay it's used in most places but some places still don't accept it and the rest of the world still don't uh, haven't adopted it uh, uk is very forward thinks about 92 percent of in-person payments are contactless car payments these days in the uk which is massive yeah. however if you go to the us which is you think is a very technologically advanced uh, country they are very far be they are so far behind in the contactless side um and that's just been because it takes time to roll out at, at the scale of the us for example yeah the infrastructure um, yeah. Um, so it's the same thing with El Salvador with Bitcoin. It's going to take time. So there's no, I didn't expect it to have like even a 50% adoption rate there. You know, it's, I think it's a, was it 12 or 14% was the last sort of numbers I think we saw uh, from El Salvador of how many um, merchants had been accepting Bitcoin payments over there. So it's still a small percentage and it's going to take a long time to build that up. Um, so you need to look at a, a longer time preference of maybe over a sort of five, 10 year time period before you start seeing real adoption. Uh, so last question from me then. I've, I went to Bitcoin Miami in April, Bitcoin Amsterdam now here in October. What do you think are the biggest kind of differences between American Bitcoiners and European Bitcoiners? Because I'm getting myself different, slightly different vibes from each conference. I won't offend any. I'll let Molly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't go to Miami, so... <laughs> um, I don't really, I don't think, I've not really seen too much of a difference. Um, I guess it depends on who you talk to mm -hmm. from, from the areas as well. Um, I think there's a difference in, like we touched on before, where, or Molly touched on before there, where depending if um, El Salvador are trying to make it use of a payment method, whereas um, other countries, uh, maybe the UK, are more buying it from an investment, a store of value. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, Argentina were buying it as a more of an inflation hedge because yeah. oh, so it, they were at 72% inflation for the year or something. I can't remember what the figure was, but um, they are looking at it from different angles. So I think it depends on um, not necessarily just US versus Europe. I think there's there's lots of different ways. And now in the UK, especially with inflation in the UK and Europe um, and the pound going the way it is, then yeah, maybe the UK will see it as an inflation hedge or a, as a store of value in some, some respects. Um, and it has been Quite honestly, Bitcoin has been a stable coin these last couple of weeks. Uh, it's about nineteen to twenty thousand dollars and hasn't really moved. Um, so yeah, it really does depend a little bit on the in, almost individual country rather than um, a vast area and sometimes individual circumstances as well. Danny and Molly, it's been really interesting talking to you both from Coin Corner. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you very much. <sighs> so that was day one of Bitcoin Amsterdam. I'm joined now by CoinMarketCap's Head of Research, Alice Liu. How are you? Hi, Connor. Uh, yeah, I'm very well. Hi, everyone. It's great to be in Amsterdam for this event. Have you been to Amsterdam before? Uh, I have only once. That was five years ago. So it's nice to be back. It's my first time here in Amsterdam. How are you finding and it? I'm so scared of being hit by a bike. Like, you have <laughs> no idea. Like... I am going to get hit by a bike this week. I can just feel it, feel it in my bones that it's going to happen to me because <laughs> they're just everywhere and they come out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I mean that's mainly another reason why I love it so much because it's the freedom you can just because I'll get hit by a bike. <laughs> no, <laughs> but if you are riding a bike, you can go anywhere. It's quite it's it's very easy, I think. Cyclists are definitely yeah. like top of the tree, aren't they? And <laughs> in, in, in Amsterdam, I think in in London cyclists aren't, but Amsterdam, yes. I mean, I would do it here because the weather is so good. So we're very lucky. We had a. Well, you say that it's bloody cold. Yes, but it's sunny.、So、but it's sunny. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I suppose. So, how have you? How have you found today? What have been kind of like your your big takeaways from the first day of this event? Sure.、Um, maybe just a bit of background. It's been a full on like a day one for us because we got here very early in the morning, checking in everything.、Uh, the agenda has been packed with all this. Great topics and discussion points.、Mm-hmm. A lot of networking opportunities as well.、Uh, they have a food court where、uh, people can just speak to each other and connect, and that's very good. So for me, I I sense one thing very strongly, which is you know people generally say it's time to build in a bear market. You find that at events as well.、Mm-hmm. So the topics are much deeper, like the discussion points.、Um, they go much deeper、uh, in depth and actually more critical thinking there, as opposed to you know the bull market. Everyone's very、bull. Bitcoin to 100k yes, kind of、exactly. thing. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Connor? How are you finding it? Really interesting. I mean, I've been in and out of interviews, and I have got to watch a few panels.、Um, there was a really interesting one about mass adoption in Europe and what that looks like, and there was an interesting parallel with electric cars and the fact that there weren't many at first, but as the technology gets faster and cheaper and better, more people kind of get involved, and there's parallels being drawn with Bitcoin there, and also a lot of talk, a lot of talk about. Inflation. I mean, which is of course an issue now in many major economies.、Um, it's an issue in the UK, an issue in the US, parts of Europe as well. And effectively, during the first panel, Jeff Booth was arguing that inflation is man-made, and that inflation is effectively a two percent target of inflation is. Two percent theft in your money for a productive economy, and so it was just interesting to see how. Whereas some people would say that the whole narrative of Bitcoin as an inflation hedge has failed because Bitcoin's price hasn't gone up as inflation's gone up, that's kind of missing the point because Bitcoin, in their eyes, is an alternative to、yeah. avoiding fiat, avoiding inflationary currencies altogether. And they were making the argument that, in their eyes, basic maths indicates that. This is only going to be a problem that gets worse because there's a 100 trillion dollar GDP、um, globally, and there's 400 trillion dollars of debt. Yeah, I think that's a very clear way to、uh, to describe it, and I think that narrative makes sense to me as well. How have you found the mood? Because of course, I remember going to Bitcoin Miami, and there was a you know. Not as much euphoria, but there was still, you know, an upbeat sentiment. You know, price was around forty-four thousand dollars back then. Obviously, it's halved since then. Did the mood? Does the mood strike you as a bit subdued, or do you think it's still, you know, a lot of enthusiasm? Yeah. So I would say definitely,、um, given the background of you know not just Bitcoin or crypto. Uh, but also the global economy, there is a bit of more like cautiousness, I would say, in general. But there is at the same time still enthusiasm in terms of the technical side of it.、Mm. So one thing I picked up actually is about a debate 
of Bitcoin and its privacy. So I think Matt O'Dell uh, hosted a very good panel on this. Uh, the discussion and the idea is about, you know, the regulation developments. Uh, we have seen, be it the KYC, AML, or um, the energy ESG side of things, and how that could potentially uh, represents a threat to the fundamental and original idea of Bitcoin and crypto, which is freedom, privacy. Uh, you have you have control over what you are doing. Whereas with the regulations coming in, I think there's generally a fear of, you know, identity um, and just losing, disclosing too much of your personal information, for example. I think that's a very interesting discussion uh, within which there, um, there is enthusiasm of developers building solutions to maintain this privacy and making sure people who choose still choose to go down the privacy Royal of uh, crypto still have the tools and technology to to support them. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because regulation, in and of itself, will mean potentially curtailing privacy yeah. and, like you say, know your customer checks, um, making sure that transactions can be traced from sender to recipient. But at the same time, many in the crypto space would readily admit that regulation is needed to make people take crypto seriously, to make sure that institutions can invest in Bitcoin and feel like they're able to do so. Yes. So it's a difficult tightrope to walk. Yeah, yes. a difficult balance. Do you think that is, is a reduction in privacy a price worth paying? Yep. Uh, so I've heard the argument from both sides today mm. at the event. I think what I really want to do next is you touch upon some really good points. So uh, I am in touch with some of these case speakers. I want to invite them back into uh, CoinMarketHub Research to put out an article uh, on their view, on what they are thinking. I think it's very important to hear both sides of the argument in depth. Mm -hmm. So um, I know for people listening in for our podcast, if you can just like our page, like Connor's page right now, <laughs> let me know if that's something you're interested in. Uh, we will get it, get it arranged. Fantastic. Well, there's plenty to look forward to in day two of the conference on Thursday. There's a panel on Bitcoin's media problem. That's going to be interesting. And one of the panelists will be Jemima Kelly from the Financial Times. There's also going to be some panels on the euro and Bitcoin, emerging markets and Bitcoin. Nigel Farage is going to be involved in a panel on decentralization with Peter McCormack. And there will be a more in-depth, um, well, another rather Bitcoin privacy debate tomorrow afternoon as well. So we will, of course, continue to bring you coverage of everything that's going on here. Yes. Yes, we will. But for now, Alice, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Connor, and look forward to day two of the event. Indeed. That is it for today's Coin Market Recap. Please do leave us a review if you've enjoyed this episode. It helps us reach even more listeners. You can find plenty more news from Bitcoin Amsterdam on our website over at coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria. I'm Connor Sefton. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with all the latest from day two of Bitcoin Amsterdam tomorrow. And hopefully we'll be joined by some pretty big guests. Bye bye for now.